it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of your favorite Swimbait Podcast, Scales and Tails, episode 80 tonight. 80, 20 away from 100. That's so mind-blowing to me. But I digress. We are talking to another bait maker slash painter. The last painter we had on was Marlin, and that was a very, very long time ago. Mr. Aquatic Marlin on Instagram. He was the uh, the California-based painter, and that was, that, dude, that was like, oh, man, September maybe, around that time. It might have even been like before that, like June or July. It's been a long time since I've had, had a painter on. And, and also, he, he, he built some baits on the side too, so painter slash, uh, slash bait builder. So uh, we'll, have, we'll have all sorts of stuff to pick his brain about, about those two crafts that, uh, I mean, a lot of people try, but, you know, there's only a couple who, who stick with it. But we are, uh, we are interviewing Mr. Brendan Brown from uh, Brown Bait Co. tonight. And like I said, he, he's a painter. Like if you go, dude, the, I was scrolling through your page today and the tilapia paint you oh. did a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was like a couple months ago. Dude, that mm-hmm. caught my eye because I'm like, that could be a tilapia or a bluegill. Like I was like, dude, that oh, that's yeah. like right there. <laughs> yeah, I love painting. It's it's a lot of fun. It's I mean, the whole thing is fun. Every bit of bait making is just like a ton of fun. I don't like hate any part of it. Like it's all just like if I get up on like a Saturday or Sunday morning, I'm like, what am I going to get done today? What am I going to make? And it's just like I get up happy. Like I want to do it, which is amazing. It's just so much fun. Heck yeah, man. And so kind of uh, before we get like too crazy into it as far as like what you're up to today, how did, uh, I guess, explain who you are. Who, who, is, who is Mr. Brendan Brown? <laughs> well, I am, uh, as you said, uh, I'm Brendan Brown. I live in uh, South Georgia and um, I fish primarily just for bass, you know, largemouth bass. I don't really have any smallmouth in my area. And that's a buckless fish that I really want to catch, definitely is a small mouth. I hear a lot about them. I definitely want to catch one. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, I make baits, I paint baits and, um, I love it. <laughs> um, and I'm obsessed with swim baiting. Like spot, spotted bass? Uh, up North we do kind of oh. where Buka is at. That's okay. kind of where most of the spot, I mean, we have some rivers here that are kind of like, you could probably find one or two in, but they're going to be small and you know, they're not very common. Yeah. Right. Dang dude. So, Dang, so you really, you really just have largemouth then, like no, no smallies, yep. no, no, uh, no striped bass or uh, spotted bass. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. Any stripers or anything hybrids? Uh, I think those are all in like the uh, linear area, so pretty okay. much just North Georgia. That's North Georgia. I think we have eighteen species of bass in Holy Georgia. Crap. I think it's eighteen species. So I think that's all the bass we have, but like they're all in the North area. Like it's very diverse up there you can catch a lot of different species and it's a it's a pretty interesting place to fish but i've yet to catch a smallmouth that's a bucketless fish i hope to to catch one this year on my trip up there yeah dang man and um so are do you have southern strain where you are i'd, I'd imagine um do you consider like florida bass like a southern strain yeah, as in yeah yeah that's pretty much what we have down here i mean it's like I guess you could say an F1 hybrid. I'm not like, I guess that's what you call them. I'm not like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know any of these terms. I just see that's a large mouth. That's a small mouth. That's yeah. a spotted bass. That's, you know what I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and like primarily the big difference, like I'm my, nor my biologist as everybody knows, but like the main <laughs> thing that I always stick, like sticks out to me is like 
dude, I can go out and I I could catch an 18, 18 inch largemouth and it could be five pounds, five and a half pounds. Like oh, they man. are literally a blimp. Like they're like, it's like the good, it's like the Goodyear blimp. And like, whereas like Florida, you can catch a 26 inch bass and it weighs seven pounds. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, definitely not set up for like length tournaments or anything up up there, are you? Exactly. <laughs> and like the other thing is like the northern strain bass have like super small mouths relative to a Florida bass. And there was uh, Stephen Clipper caught a bass uh, a couple last week in in British Columbia, Canada, and he sent me a picture of it. And like I, I realized, I'm like, wow, dude, like that that bass has a really small mouth. And then somebody caught a really good fish in Florida or Texas. I think it was Texas. Um, and dude, I looked at the mouth and it was like <laughs> for anybody who's seen like the Batman and the, in the, the Batman movie and it has like Joker and he's got like the, the paint, uh, like going up his cheeks, dude, that's like what this large mouth's mouth looked like. It like, it looked tremendously big and I, I screenshot it and I sent it to Steven and I'm like, dude, look how much bigger this fish's mouth is than yours like it's just absolutely crazy yeah they so. call them bucket mouth bass around here sometimes that's what a lot of the uh the older guys they call them uh, mm -hmm. bucket mouth bass because i mean they've got big mouths down here especially yeah dude and i was uh I'm, I'm reading a book i'm reading sow belly right now and they talk about how like what was it theodore roosevelt i want to say before he took office like bass were just called like green trout like, the, oh. like they were they were just called green trout and then he kind of brought up how like it's a it's called a black bass and like everybody's like oh this guy's this guy doesn't know what he's talking about it's it's a green trout <laughs> <laughs> like it's like dang dude and what when was he in office was that uh um mm, uh, i don't know i would not be the person to ask for that <laughs> i think it was maybe the 40s around there so dude like a hundred we'll just say like 150 years ago to be safe they were calling them green <laughs> trout and it's and they talk about how like the 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 green or the black bass movement was such a big thing for people to start calling oh, them yeah. bass. <laughs> and, then and what's like, interesting is they're not even bass; they're actually like a species of of, of bluegill. Yeah, which is dude, that's, that's what brim. they said. That's like they were like we call them black bass, but they're actually like a subspecies of the bluegill family. And I mm -hmm. read that, and I was like, "Whoa, that's like that's kind of like from left field." Like I had never heard that before <laughs> to, until today. I actually read that chapter today, and I I read that. I'm like, whoa, dude! Like that's uh, it's interesting. Like it makes sense. Like now that I, like when I thought about it, I'm like, okay. I mean, it it does make sense, but I'm like, that's just so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm not sure if you know about this, but I've been very confused at this about bass in Japan. Mm -hmm. And you, if you look at a lot of these bass that people catch in Japan, these Japanese anglers are catching, they've got these weird looking mouths. They're like very blunt, and they don't look like the mouths don't look anything like the fish in here in the u.s which is very weird i've been trying to figure out why that is and talking with some of my friends mm -hmm. and we just can't figure it out like there's no information on it online so i'm not sure if any of your viewers know what that is why that is but i would Dude, definitely so like to know i i've seen bass like that come out of like florida like they've got like a super really pointed like bottom jaw like not not like overly pointed like like a paddlefish mm -hmm. or something like that but what is i think it's like is it I can't remember if it's snook that kind of have that style mouth. Like they've got like an arrowing mouth yeah, towards, yeah. towards the opening. And uh, I know bass in Japan are very invasive and I don't like, this is just a complete hypothetical. I have no idea what the fish are like in Japan. So this is just me talking out of my ass, 
But I think like it would make sense if it was like an evolutionary thing. Like if they have punk rock out there or whatever, so these bass kind of have to have these mm-hmm. pointed mouths to suck up crawdads or suck up bait fish that kind of hang around in these uh, tighter areas. Whereas like you know a hundred years ago or whenever they got introduced, like their rounded jaws weren't allowing them to to I guess uh, survive to what they needed to be. So obviously they. Mm-hmm evolved like everything does i don't know that's just a complete this probably does like not even true in the slightest so that's just like that's, that's what comes to my mind right now as far as like the evolutionary uh design of a bass i guess like that would make sense i think yeah i guess so i don't you know i would definitely like to know for sure if that's like the truth but yeah it's it's very interesting i don't know it's and it's so crazy out there because like if you catch a bass you're supposed to kill it like it's like like kill on really? the spot. I did not know this. So it's like snakehead over here. Yeah, dude. So like uh Biowa, I heard however you say it, like Biowa, Biowa, yeah. however you say it. <laughs> those fish over there, <clears throat> so from what I know, they just grow stupid fast, kind of like the California bass did in like the early two thousands and the nineties. Mm-hmm. They grow stupid big. That lake is like three hundred and sixty feet deep. It's just like ridiculously deep. Oh yeah. And like like yeah if you catch them you're supposed to kill them and i'm like i'm pretty sure that's like why a lot of these pictures are taking taken on boats and stuff like out in the middle of nowhere is so that i would assume that a lot of the japanese guys let him go but i know like the world record i don't think he was allowed to let that go like i think to to be certified yeah. and stuff he had to keep it and that's why there's pictures of him on the shore holding that fish like he is like in that mm-hmm. parking lot or wherever that like iconic picture is of him holding it out yeah. and smiling <laughs> Yeah, I remember they had a picture of it in a basket and on the concrete in um, a while ago. But yeah, that's that's interesting. I did not know that about them. I mean, it makes sense. They're invasive. They can you know destroy the, the environment that's you know the wildlife that's native to uh, Japan. So that's definitely an interesting thing for sure. Yeah, hold on. So largemouth bass have also been introduced in many countries, but in Japan, fisheries officials consider it an invasive species. In addition, because bass are not native not native in our hold on in addition bass <laughs> because bass are not native and are stocked in japan many speculated that the big bass was a sterloid proploid but I, I don't know I guess. maybe maybe they don't have to kill them i thought they i thought they always had to kill them out there they could have definitely been like a law changed or something. Oh, in Japan, largemouth bass have become a popular sport fish. They were also imported to the country back in 1925 and are very common to be eaten while there. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's like bat, Bassmaster right here. I'm reading this article. You see in Japan, bass are an invasive okay. species, kind of like the snakehead in the U.S. is. Though many angler, many Japanese anglers enjoy bass for the fight they put up. Huh. Dude, I hmm. think it'd be... I think I had, uh, I was talking with Marshall, Nick, and Phoenix uh, last night, which mm-hmm. these guys will hear before this one, but we were talking about Japan, dude, like going to Japan and like just <laughs> being there for like two or three weeks to fish, dude, that would be so crazy. Not even fish. Like, oh yeah. Fishing would be cool, but like just to experience what they have over there. Yeah. I would be so out of my mind. I would go so deep into debt buying these Japanese lures that like we can't find at all like on these online Japanese websites like Seven Palms mm-hmm. or Lucy's Bass or any of these places like it's just like 
I would go broke so quickly in the like the first tackle shop I'd come to. I'd just be like buying stuff like crazy. Like it'd be awesome to fish there and to buy the tackle. Like that would be absolutely amazing to go there for sure. Yeah, and and Phoenix is really good friends with Jeffrey, and Jeffrey's uh, been over there I think once or twice this year already, and he talks yep. about like how. How the tackle shops are kind of like I, maybe it was just the one tackle shop uh, that he was talking about, but it's like it's like a library. Like you have to go in there, you have to be quiet, you have to ask if you can grab this or grab it off the shelf or something like oh, that. Wow. And I was like, whoa, dude, like that's crazy. Like um, another thing in the Japanese culture that I've I've kind of uh, found out is like they're very big into giving gifts. Like when when the visitor more times than not brings a gift to the person that they visit is like a sign of i don't know if it's like respect or or just whatever mm-hmm. it is and so like uh phoenix is going over there in october and i'm i was like dude i'm gonna give you a bunch of magazines and whenever like you go into a tackle shop or something like give that as the gift like i will give you so many magazines if that's what you want to do <laughs> your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by leviathan rods Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blanks. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. That's very interesting. Well, now, now I know. That if when when I go over there, I will be sure to bring a lot of baits. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I can give those out to people. You know, that's that's very cool. Yeah, I just guy, look at the tackle shops. It's just so cool. Yeah, a guy, uh, another guy I know. Um, he used to work with a big uh, company that's really big in Japan, and he was at ICAST. And the owners of another big company from Japan came to ICAST. This was like 2015, 2014, and he was like, just like. They just brought so much stuff to give to all the American like tackle outlets and stuff like podcast. <laughs> he's like, it was just like a general gift bag. And he's like, but it was just like it was super cool because it was stuff that you know you don't find or see in the U.S., which is which is pretty cool. He said, "Yeah, totally. That's super cool. Yeah, but, I geek out and all that JDM tackle. It's just like it's so much more niche and like there's yeah. so many different kinds. Like they're always doing something different, which is what's special about it." Yeah, dude, the the baits are super cool, but dude, I like the packaging. The packaging, like when it's like a mix between like anime and like a bunch of Japanese writing, and they have kind of like the uh, just the little sketch drawings and stuff on them. I'm like that. That's mm-hmm. so freaking cool. <laughs> well, I usually care for more what's in the package, but that's yeah, pretty cool yeah. for like a collector. Totally, like it's yeah. it's pretty cool. Like the the DRT boxes, like the Japanese, like when you order one from Japan, like they come in super cool boxes and they. They come in, uh, like the guys who ship them, they'll wrap them in Japanese newspaper. Oh, and like, dude, it's like, cool. it's like little stuff like that. That's like so cool because like you don't, obviously you don't experience that when you order from Tackle Warehouse or, mm-hmm. you know, just wherever Omnia Fishing Tackle or something like you, I mean, it, it's just like packing peanuts, which is cool. But like getting something like a yeah. Japanese like newspaper, that's freaking sick. Yeah, that's that's super cool. Like one thing that I do for my packaging is if you order a wood bait, I I always put the shavings from that wood bait in the box oh. instead of doing like the grass and stuff. Yeah. So it's like you have that and then it's I I do think packaging is important, but I don't want to spend like a ton of money on packaging. So I'm like, well heck, I've got all these shavings from this bait I carved. Throw them in the Dude, box and then, like, you know, it just like adds a little more meaning, like I guess you could cool. say. Yeah. 
Dang, dude, that's sick. I know. Um, <laughs> oh, what was I gonna say? Like, and it makes it smell good, <laughs> dude. Packaging for like, like if you went out and you bought a pack of Guggen Baits or um, <laughs> uh, Strike King, like that come with that clam, the clam shell, oh, and, yeah, like, yeah, plastic stuff, dude. That's like the most expensive part of producing a bag of baits. Like the plastic mm-hmm. doesn't cost anything. The colors, the scents doesn't cost anything. The packaging is like two thirds of of what the what they're putting into this package <laughs> as far as like investment wise. Yeah, you got to sell to the fishermen usually first before they can even try the bait because you yeah. have to catch their eye in the store. Yeah, and it's like it's cool, but it's like I would not be putting my stuff in custom clamshell packaging if it's going to cost yeah. <laughs> me you know, seventy cents, and the bait itself only costs me like seven cents to produce. Like, that's just, <laughs> that's crazy. I understand like. Like as like as far as like swim bait stuff go, I understand. But like if they're like craw baits or like chunks for jigs or something, mm-hmm. dude, just throw them in a bag. Like I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna go through like three bags in a day if you have a good day of fishing. Exactly. It's just like it doesn't matter. You're just gonna throw it out. Yeah, man, exactly. But getting back to to your part of the episode, how did you get <laughs> into fishing? Where did where did the passion start for you? Well, um, it all started with, um, I'm like sure like most people, um, my dad took me out to, I think it was Lake Sinclair for my first ever time fishing. And he's not like a big fisherman. He's like Zebco 3033 mm-hmm. and throw a bobber and a worm out there. Caught a few catfish and some bluegill and just had fun. I mean, it was just like enjoyable. It was something, something fun to do. Um, he has a friend that has a house up there. So we just went there on the dock and sat there for an hour or two and caught some fish. And it wasn't, and I think I was probably like seven or eight then, I think. Um, but it wasn't until I started going a little bit more, um, like my dad travels a lot and mm-hmm. I usually travel with him for work. So we go to a lot of these places that have ponds and there's one only an hour from my house that my dad travels to, to work. So every year the whole family goes with him. We go and do all the work stuff. And then I, saw the pond and i was like hey i found some baler twine there's a needle that i found (laughs) i was like i think i was like 10 or 12 years old and i'm like all right let's see if i can fashion a hook out of this and i never caught anything (laughs) but then um i saw somebody out there and they said hey you know you you want to borrow this rod and i'm like okay sure and then i caught a fish and then my dad was like all right let's get you a rod and reel and i got like some cheap junky rod and reel and then after that the rest is history i just started saving my money every single cent i could get to get a better combo, to get more baits and everything. And it just like took off from there. <laughs> I never looked back. Dang, man. So 10 years old and that starts to happen. That's like, that's pretty yeah. early. And how old are you now? <laughs> I'm 18 now. Okay. So yeah. So you've been doing it like, I would say, yeah. dude, eight years and you're, you're carving baits and stuff now. Like that's kind of, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you've come a long ways in eight years. Like eight years is not very long. Yeah. I would, uh, I'm, I would say I've been fishing for probably six years because the first two years I really didn't have the bunny or any like stuff really to, to fish mm-hmm. a lot. And I couldn't even go anywhere. I mean, like my dad would take me a few times a year because I mean, just busy, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't until I got my, my license that I could really start fishing a lot. Yeah, dude, that's like, I, dude, I remember what's it like in Georgia. Can you drive it like 15 or is it 16? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 16, you get your full license and drive okay. without a uh, adult. Yeah, dude. So I, in Michigan, it's the same thing. Dude, I remember turning 16, okay. and I remember 
fishing every <laughs> single day, dude. After work, after baseball practice, <laughs> before school, man, I was. I just left my kayak in my truck because I was just I was going out like at <laughs> least at least five or six times a week. Oh yeah, that's like the best. Like whenever you just go fishing, whenever regardless of like what happens and everything, you're just like, all right, see you guys. I'm going fishing for however long. I'll see you guys whenever I see you guys. Yeah, it's it, exactly. so much fun. I mean, dude, I have memories of catching like super good fish uh, before baseball practice. So, like uh, our baseball field set up like like pretty much kitty corner to a lake and it was the lake was nothing special oh. and i remember fishing it one day before practice and i caught like a five on a huge um it's an lv 500 lipless which is a pretty dang big lipless and i, I was actually yo-yoing <laughs> it with with my swim bait rod and i remember like pulling up on it and i remember ca- i remember hooking this fish catching it and i remember like looking at it and i'm like that's like the biggest bass i've ever seen out of this water like, that's just absolutely crazy and that thing cut up my hand so bad, like I just like because <laughs> I was like trying to wrestle it into the kayak, and I remember oh, yeah. going to baseball practice, and I felt like I had some crazy grip on the ball just because my fingers were just so tore up from from those teeth. It was, <laughs> it's like such a fond memory, and I remember like it, it was just I, I had the kayak in my truck, I dumped it in, I had like forty five minutes to fish before practice, and and then I I probably fished out there like for another week. I don't think I ever caught another fish out there. <laughs> well, dang, that's. That's kind of sad that you didn't catch any more out of there. Maybe just put on too much pressure onto those fish. But yeah, um, also, that fish was probably eating shad or soft baits because of how sharp its teeth were. Yeah, I just I just put that into mind. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's so you guys have shad down there, right? Yeah, shad shiners, pretty much all that. <laughs> yeah, I wish no perch. I say I wish, but I'm kind of glad we don't like. It's it's cool to know that you're imitating a bait down there that's kind of plentiful, mm-hmm. but it's also like I, will, I like if you've ever watched the Lake Fort Chris Zaldane from three years ago, like in like you're watching these shad busts mm-hmm. and stuff. It's super cool, but like it's such a mind melt to me to think that like there's a thousand shad down there. And I need to present my bait in a way that a bass is going to eat this instead of the under other 999 real chat <laughs> down there. Like that's just, that's such a crazy thought to me and I've never been able to wrap my head around it. Yeah. I mean like the shad balls down here, sometimes I had one that was probably two times the size of my boat. I mean, it was just absolutely massive. And that was the spring, which, and then there's also like shiners, which travel around, usually around grass. They spawn yeah, in grass. Yeah. Um, those shiners, they typically take, the can't talk um they typically stay in groups smaller groups and they move kind of fast around in grass um so those tend to be bigger fish too um so usually the bass will just kind of you know keep an eye on those and kind of chase them around but those big giant schools of shad i mean once the shad start spawning and those bass absolutely destroy them and you can have some days where you catch a lot of fish early in the morning before the sun's up just absolutely smash them yeah, dude, it's it's so crazy. I was reading a comment thread today, and somebody's like, "Dude, like these shad kept running into my bait, or they kept hooking themselves <laughs> onto my bait." And somebody's like, "No, dude, like it's the shad spawn. Like those fish were were trying to impregnate <laughs> your bait. Like they they were trying to to have like some kind of of sexual drive to that bait because they thought it was a live shad." <laughs> And like I was like whatever, and then I kept reading down the comments, and guys are like, "Yeah, dude, like that's happened to me a lot." And I'm like, "That is so crazy." Like that, <laughs> that means you're imitating the the bait population like to a T. I feel like. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. We have some big gizzard shad down here, and they get, like, I mean, pretty big to that 10-inch range, sometimes bigger. And uh, you'll see those things go by, and you're like, whoa, that's a, that's a big bait fit right there. And then you'll see these giant bass just chasing after it, like, whoa, get a cast out there really fast. <laughs> that's, that's so freaking crazy, man. But so you get, you kind of, you get your first rod and everything around 10. And I mean, did it, was it something that, that kind of took off instantly for you? Or was it just like, oh, okay, like we're going to be by a body of water today. I'll bring my rod. Or were you like actively going on your way and asking to go to lakes and stuff? It was really both. I mean, honestly, anywhere I went with my parents, I was like, all right, bringing the rod and reel, throwing it in the truck. Sometimes it was a, a little bit of a, a pain to get it in there because uh, we had a little bit of a problem with it blowing out of the truck. So that was a, an issue. <laughs> but, you know, every time I, that I'd go somewhere where I knew there was going to be a body of water, I was like, I'm adamant at bringing a rod and reel with me every single time. And I brought like every bit of tackle with me. And one time I actually left all the tackle there. And I went back an hour later and I was like, oh, whoops. There goes my tackle. Somebody <laughs> took all of it. So oh gosh, I had to man. start from scratch. So I had the, that's one of my issues is I leave tackle um, kind of, you know, on the bank sometimes. And I go mm -hmm. walk around the pond and, you know, one time it was just gone. So. Yeah, dude, I'm like notoriously terrible. Like growing up, I'd go spend the night at my cousin's house or friend's houses. And dude, I would leave clothes, socks. <laughs> I would just leave my whole bag there. I was very terrible <laughs> with like losing stuff. And that's like now I don't put myself in that in that predicament anymore. I take one bait with me, and that's the bait I have. Yeah. I walk down to the river, and I'm like, if I like have my little somebody underground tackle box or a backpack or something, like I'll set it down. I'll walk. I'll, I'll you know walk up the quarter mile up to the dam spillway, and then I'll just be like, okay, I'm done, and I'll walk home, and I'll be laying in bed, and I'll be like, oh my gosh, dude, my bag is down there. And like if I did that now, like. <laughs> I'd be out of some serious like money and some serious yeah. like, mental baits. Like back then I was just leaving clothes at my cousin's house. Like I'd be leaving like, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars <laughs> baits on the bank. Like I don't, oh, I don't trust man. anybody that much. Definitely not. Especially if they know their value. <laughs> yeah, dude. I had I so I won't say somebody stole a package off my uh apartment doorstep, but I so it was October. I was ordering baits to give away at the gathering. I had a Pats, a Psycho Trout, and um, an OG Piz Carp go up in one day. It all Ooh. got delivered by USPS, got here. There's two packages. I'm like, huh, that's weird. Didn't really cross my mind at all. I opened up the first one. It's a Psycho Trout. I opened up the second one. It's the Pats. And then I'm like, where the heck is this Piz? Like, it says it's delivered. It, like, oh, man. Dude, I don't know. I don't know where it is. I tried to file a claim with USPS. They said, nope, it says it was delivered. We can't do anything for you. And I oh was, man, dude, are you serious? Like I, it, it's never showed up. I don't know where it is. I don't know if it's in the bottom of some bin or if somebody took it and had like, nobody, nobody in my area. I mean, there's like probably 10, 12 guys in the whole state of Michigan that would know what that bait is and know what it's worth. And wow. I'm like, I'm like, dude, I, like if somebody's pulling a prank, I mean, like this is, this is mean. And yeah, yeah it's been <laughs> like, five, six months since then. And it just has never showed up. Like for some reason I always get like, I always have a feeling like I you got to kind of cross you got to walk past my door to see like the little threshold and I'm always like maybe one day I'll just be coming home from work and I'll <laughs> I'll turn that corner and there'll be a random USPS box there that I don't remember ordering anything and it'll be that bait but I'm like no nah, dude it's, it's gone <laughs> like it's so crappy to think about too oh man 
that's horrible. I am. Um, I live out in the middle of nowhere, so I have no worries about it. Yeah. Anybody stealing my stuff, which is good, you know. <laughs> but that's pretty horrible that that happens, especially to an expensive bait like that. Yeah, dude. And so, like, I'm like, I'm super gun shy about ordering stuff now, especially to my apartment. <laughs> like, like Amazon. Amazon's cool because they they'll send like a picture of the package or whatever at your doorstep. But mm-hmm. it's like, dude, like I don't know. I've ordered some stuff. I've ordered like baits or. Just like like the magazines, dude. Like I had I had two hundred pounds of magazines sitting in my door. They showed up a day late. They were supposed to be here on a Friday, which I would have been fine. But uh, for the weekend, we went up. I went up to my parents' house, and I got the notification that it was delivered like Saturday afternoon. Oh, and I just had a pit in my stomach all night Saturday into Sunday. And I was I told my girlfriend I was like, we have to leave like my parents' house at, like ten o'clock in the morning so we can get down here, just so I know that these magazines are down here and I don't like. I just don't somehow lose them or whatever. And yeah. enough, they were all there. I'm like, whoever, if somebody would have stolen those dude props to them, because that is a lot. <laughs> of, like they probably would have taken it and thought it was something like super cool. Like, Oh my gosh, this is super heavy. I bet you it's super cool. <laughs> and then they crack it open and it's just 250 units of the same magazine that makes no <laughs> sense to them. <laughs> I would, that would be funny to see their face whenever they opened it for sure. Yeah, dude. And I almost think that somebody like the guy probably put it in front of the wrong door because I've gotten a lot of packages like so I I live in a four four level uh, apartment building and I've gotten packages for 207, 307, 417. (laughs) And I'm like, how? why is this in front of my apartment door like 407? How does this like I don't know how it works, dude. It happens all the time. And I'm like, yeah, dude, somebody definitely got this and threw it away or was like, oh, it's not my package. Like, I'm not going to walk up there and give it to them. And I'm just like, man, that bait, I I would just like to know where that bait is. Like, if I could just, like, have ease of mind and they're like, oh, it's in a bin at the USPS store that hasn't moved in the last six months. Okay, cool. Like, it just makes me feel better. Yeah. Have you gone to the USPS center yeah. like and yeah. just like ask them just be like hey do you guys have any packages that you may have yeah. forgotten <laughs> so i emailed Man. them and they're like oh we'll uh we'll talk to the grand rapids which is like the big town they're like oh we'll talk to the grand rapids we'll have them sweep the conveyor belt maybe it just got lost maybe it just got auto scanned mm-hmm. or whatever and then you know like three days later she's like yep we don't know where it is sorry it's <laughs> like really like, are you serious and they're like yeah I was like, oh, can I get a refund? They're like, no. I'm like, oh my gosh, there goes like $300 Man. down the drain. Wow. I um, I ordered a Depths 250 on Swimbait Underground. Um, this is the first ever Depths 250 I ever ordered. And I, it, 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 this seller is absolutely amazing. I mean, I would recommend him to anybody. I'm not sure. I don't need, I can't remember his name, but um, I ordered Depths 250. It was $90. The bait didn't show up at my house for I think two, three months. And then when the package got there, it said the item was not inside the package. The package was destroyed or something like that. And I told the guy that sold it to me and he actually gave me my money back. And he never, you know, he, he's out of bait, which is crazy. It's just amazing that there's some great people out there still, which is amazing. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't know if he's listening to this. I don't know if he actually listens to the podcast. There was a guy who ordered a sticker pack and uh, mm-hmm. he ordered it, and I, I shipped it out the next day. And, like, dude, like, four days later, I got a PayPal claim. And, like, the claim was just, like, ordered this, never showed up. I don't even want it anymore. And I'm like, oh, man, like, that makes me feel really bad. Like, 
sorry. So I found the guy's profile, Facebook profile. I messaged him. I'm like, sorry, man. Like, I don't know what happened. I'll send out another one. Like, I apologize. Uh, and whatever. Keep your money. I'll just I'll send you another one. I want you to get these stickers. And he he responds and he's like, oh my gosh, dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were gonna see that PayPal claim like message. I thought that was just for PayPal. I'm really sorry. And like, oh, dude, it's okay. I'm like, well, we'll just wait a day or two. And if it shows up before the weekend, like, I'll send out another one. He's like, okay, sounds good. Dude, he texts me the next morning. He's like, oh, it showed up yesterday. I'm so sorry. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like it's cool, man. Like, I, I don't, I don't mind. And he's like, oh, I'll send your money back. It's like, no, just you're good, Dan. I'll just keep it. Like, my bad. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm apologizing for, but my bad. Just keep him. Like, it's whatever. So. Yeah, definitely. There's some good people out there for sure. Man, so you you kind of you get bit by the fishing bug, and how, was it primarily like you were fishing bluegill crappie and stuff from the shore? Is that like what you were going out or just trying to catch whatever? I should say. Yeah, I um I got some jig heads, some little little like three inch paddle gels, so I could catch oh, like yeah, I'd be just like, stuff. you know, it's just like fish. You know, fish this, you'll catch pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. And I caught a few bass, and I was just like, holy cow, these things pull way harder they jump and do these cartwheels in the air they just do crazy stuff they fight hard and it's like this is something cool and then i learned that they could get like massive like really big i mean Mm -hmm. i guess you could say massive but um yeah i and then i was just like okay how do i target these fish and that's where youtube came in i was just like i grew up in the time where like you know you could google it and figure out you know everything and youtube was like a huge help to me so i started reaching researching and i found tactical bassin which is like the pretty much the only one of the only youtube channels i um i listened to and watched for information and i knew that i could trust them because i've seen the the success that they had on the baits and the techniques that they were showing so i knew i could trust them and their information because you never know with the internet but yeah 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 Dang, yeah dude. i just just went full on and that's you know then i got into swim baits <laughs> Yeah, and so when you were when you like realized that bass were super cool and you started to look into them, did you stumble upon George Perry in in the old world record in Georgia? Was that something that you had seen and you're like, oh my gosh, like th- that like my state has these gigantic bass, like that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't learn about that until like I don't know four five years ago. So I mean, like it was like a while ago, but. Yeah, I learned about it, and then I was like, wait a second. I know where that place is. I know that it's only like an hour away from my house, so I went there, and it's just it's all dried up and like kind of like a swamp now. So, yeah, I really wanted to fish. I'd be like, yes, I'm going to catch a new world record. I'm just going to become this this famous fishing person. But then, yeah, yeah. You know, just like, yeah, it was, it's it's not there anymore. <laughs> Dang, man, I was, I was reading Sal Belly. And the guy who writes the book talks about going and visiting it and like talks about the story of this guy and like how the George Perry guy and like how he, how he lived his life. It was like during the depression or Mm -hmm. yeah, it was like around that time. And he was just like, just going out there to have fun. Like it was like a rainy day and he was just going out there because he didn't have to work in the fields. His dad had actually died of cancer. So he was like the man of the house all the farming and stuff. And like he, it was a rainy day and he got up super early. Nobody, his, his family, his wife and his son and his mom and I think sister wasn't, weren't up yet. So like he made coffee and he just, he got up, him and his buddy went to this spot that was like 20 minutes away or something like that. And that he ended up catching the world record that day. Like that's, <laughs> that's so crazy. 
that is insane. And I, know, I remember he caught it on a creek chub. Yep, um, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It's so the guy, insane. the guy who, uh, the author of the book was meeting with a guy who used to interview uh, George Perry towards the end, like in the 70s before he had passed oh, wow. away. He actually had the bait and he had the handwritten notes that, uh, oh. that George would write to the Creek Chub Company in Indiana. So like he had like, he had the bait, wow. he had all these handwritten notes, he had all these like pictures of fish with this bait, like all this, all this super cool stuff that they talk about in the book. And it's like, whoa, that's like that's crazy cool. interesting. Yeah. Man, I need to get this book and like read up on this. This is Dude, very interesting. It, it is so crazy. So this like I I'm just kind of brushing up onto that part right now, but like the first mm-hmm. uh, first 70 or 80ish pages is talking about like the big the big uh big bass like trophy boom in California mm-hmm. in like the late 90s early 2000s and it like kind of kind of grows and goes in chronological order of all these guys catching these big bass and like yeah. It's I started reading it. I had never been brushed up on any California fishing other than like Butch, uh, Mike Long a little bit towards like the end before he got, mm-hmm. got caught. And then like, uh, <laughs> Gilbert, like that's, that's all I really knew. And dude, reading yeah. this book, like it's, it's crazy. Hold on. Like I, we, we talked about this last <laughs> night or maybe, maybe Marshall and I talked about it after we were recording. There's a part in this book, which will kind of be super cool. Cause this goes along with the bait, bait building. Um, mm-hmm. So this was Jerry Rago and uh, Mickey Mickey Ellis. So they're like, oh yeah, this is Jerry Rago talking right now. He said, uh, he, he's talking about this lure, and he says one concept is a lure that it is attached by one line and two rods. Two anglers would stand on opposite shores and reel the lure back and forth to each other. No boat cool. to spook the fish and no loud splashes of the lure. He says, grinning, like, do that. <laughs> Then that was that was like 2003. So I'm sure if it was a thing that would have worked out, we would have heard about it by now. But like, yeah, dude, these guys were like just doing this crazy off the wall stuff back then to catch these 18 to 21, <laughs> 14 ounce fish. Like it's so crazy, man. I want to talk on the phone to to Mickey Ellis and Jerry Rago. I mean, I want to talk to phone on like all of these guys because they're just super interesting. Like as far as like bait making goes and fishing, like they're just just crazy like out there on all this stuff it's very very cool stuff yeah i think i think the tactical bass and guys would be super cool to talk to kind of going back to like the youtube stuff because i kind of grew up watching them and dude they fish all over the place they used to come up by my parents house and and fish that far north like a lot of their smallmouth videos in like june and july are are up there i mean it's grand traverse bay (laughs) for anybody who's who's listening and Dude, the smallmouth in there, like it's not uncommon to catch a six pound smallmouth, whether that be Dude. in twenty five foot of water or sixty foot of water. Like drop shot, wow. uh, HUD sixty eight, dark sleeper, you know, just a little ball jig or um uh like a little spark shad or something, dude. Like like when they like they have a super late spawning point, like like I said, middle of June, end of June. Oh wow. And like it's just it's a crazy, crazy thing out there. The water's like absolutely crystal clear, sixty foot of visibility. <laughs> And these fish are just pushed up on these big, big, long sand slash chunk rock flats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, um, I've never seen some of their videos. Perrick actually did a video out there a couple of years ago when he traveled from like Mackinac Island down to Chicago. He he fished Grand Traverse Bay and he caught like he caught a bunch of trout out there and then he caught a bunch of big smallmouth <laughs> too. So like it's like pretty well known, but it's also kind of kind of super slept on because everybody fishes Lake St. Clair. But 
dude i think mm-hmm. you can get on some crazy smallmouth out there like with with like a six inch punker or a mini slammer oh, yeah you know, like a tk like you could smack yeah. some around up there man i bet a pink tk would like absolutely hammer them out there dude a pink 250 they go crazy for a pink 250 i've caught some smallmouth on a oh, pink 250 man it's wicked they had the smallmouth like actually go for the 250 like yeah really dude. Yeah, they they, they clobber that thing. You just you just got to hope that they get the hooks. <laughs> That's the hard. Oh thing. yeah, yeah. You need to add an extra hook on there or something. Yeah, usually usually like if you put a head hook on there, you'll catch a lot of the fish. Like even for a little bit smaller glides, um, if you do mm-hmm. a head hook on there, like you you'll catch a lot of the smallmouth that bite. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, wow. and That's pretty cool. Yeah, and so was tactical bass and kind of kind of what opened your eyes to swim baits yeah it kind of was and then uh you know i just started watching the videos and i was like dang these things are huge how are how bass even gonna hit these things yeah and i yeah. watched some of their videos and i was like okay yeah and catching big ones and my whole thing you know now is just like i want to catch the biggest bass i can i'm not going for numbers um i'm going for the biggest fish i can catch whatever technique it takes to catch that fish i'm fishing that so i fish a lot of jigs and I also fish mostly swim baits now. I actually sold or gave away all my spinning rem, like rod and reel stuff, just recently. Um, so I have no more spinning stuff. The only spinning stuff I have is for like surf fishing over like yeah. in the docks and stuff like that. But yeah, I uh, that was pretty much my gateway to to swim bait and, and learning them. And then you know, I just started talking to people on Instagram and on swim bait universe and swimming underground and just learning as much as I possibly could I just, just be a sponge and just soak up all this information and then go out there and try to test it and, you know, just learn it. You know, it's very daunting to learn a technique that's, that's this crazy. That's like a whole nother community in the fishing world. Like the, you can, what I love about fishing is you could be just as simple as a bobber and worm and catch fish. And you mm-hmm. can just go as crazy as some of these guys like out in North Carolina that do this crazy stuff with like balsa crankbaits or, or big baits. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. it's very interesting. I just love the whole bass fishing, at, bass fishing as a whole. It's just always something, something new to learn. You can never stop learning in bass fishing. Yeah, dude, it's, um, it's like just a rabbit hole that just for some reason continuously goes. And it's also being continuously dug. Like right now, yeah. <laughs> Right now, it probably doesn't feel like it because everybody is kind of up to date with every everything. Nobody's really living in the moment because there's not like any crazy breakthroughs. But like mm-hmm. you think about like when when forward facing sonar first came out, and like all the lure advancements you saw. I mean, like these companies were putting out yeah. all these new style <laughs> umbrella rigs. There were just all sorts of stuff coming out, like flat sided jigs and. <laughs> like that's obviously nothing too crazy but like yeah I, like dude i remember when the uh, i remember the bait that came out that like caused the biggest buzz for the longest time dude it was it was the whopper plopper like that thing came oh, out yeah. and i remember <laughs> i think i was like a freshman or eighth grade and dude like i just remember everybody was buying the plopper 90 and then, and then, like two years later, you know, Berkeley comes out with the Chapo, and then you have uh, what else is there? There's like the Berkeley Chapo. There's, there's, I think the there's Ber- another one too. Berkeley, the Whopper Plopper. There's a Whopper Plopper Buzzbait. Ugin and... came out with uh, with a yeah, plopper. the revolver. And then, yeah. didn't doesn't 
No, striking doesn't have one, do they? I don't think I they don't have think one. So. But actually, but, there's a, a little-known fact about the Whopper Plopper. The, if you can find the Whopper Ploppers in the gold package, those are the original ones. Those ones <laughs> don't catch as many weeds, and they don't spin as much as the ones in the red. So I really? have a bunch of those gold ones, the ones in the gold package. Mm-hmm. If you find those, buy up a bunch of them because they are, they're, they're slightly better than the ones in the red package. Huh. But, yeah, dude, that was, like, the last big, like, I guess, like, lure advancement as far as, mm-hmm. like, I mean, they'd been around, like, musky guys had, had used the water wolf stuff. Like, it was nothing too oh, yeah. crazy. But as far as, like, a bass fishing lure, that's, like, the last thing that I can think of that was super crazy. And now it's just kind of, like, innovating on stuff, like bigger 32-arm yeah. A-rigs or, you know, flat-sided <laughs> jerk baits so you can see them on forward-facing sonar. Whereas, like, yeah. I feel like the swim bait world is, like, constantly, maybe not necessarily involving, like, evolving, but there's blocks being added to the staircase to go higher and to, to reach something different, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I think DRT is doing that. They're, yeah, they came up with yep. the Clash series. I mean, heck, you know, I think it was Chris Purcell. Um, he came out with that 30-something joint ghost. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was so funny. <laughs> but the DRT base are, like, crazy cool. I love fishing the Clash 9 and the TK and the VTSs. Those are pretty good, too. But those things are so different. And you can do so many different things with them. You can honestly just bring one of those baits and you're good to go for the day. You can do pretty much everything you need to do. I mean, it's just, it's so versatile. Like, that's one of the things that's just amazing about those baits. And then I think that a lot of companies can learn from and improve on is don't try to just make another crankbait or make another version of your own craw. Mm-hmm. Do something different. Think outside the box. You know, the guys at, at GRAD, they came out with that crankbait jig. That's a pretty cool bait. It's, I don't know if it works. I've never seen a fish caught on it. I've never really researched it. Yeah. It's a cool concept. It's different, you know? And then G-Rat came out with the, the buzz bait whopper plopper. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has a buzz bait prop on top, but then it has a hard bait with a buzz, uh, with a plopper tail. And I saw the action on that and I was like, dang, that looks pretty good. It looks like it adds a little more commotion and a different like profile. But I think companies just need to start thinking a little bit outside the box and don't think so much as um, trying to tweak existing yeah, baits, you know? existing bait, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the Berkeley Slobber Knocker. That bait is amazing around wood. You just got to thin the skirt and trim it a little bit and put the right trailer on. And that's pretty much, I throw the Berkeley Slobber Knocker in wood and I throw the Jackhammer and um, the Magula Moth in grass and open water. Like mm-hmm. I have, it's like, they did an amazing job with that bait is what I'm trying to say. So definitely don't sleep on some of those baits. It's, the biggest thing is just to try everything, though, and that can be a problem. You know? Yeah, and it, it sounds like you're like very well versed in in like the stuff that's readily available, and that I'm, this kind of leads into the next question: When did mm-hmm. when did like you become, uh, I guess, like intertwined with? with wanting to to make your own swim baits like was were you making stuff before you got into swim baits or when you kind of got into swim baits did you see like oh these are kind of expensive maybe i can kind of do my (laughs) own version of them that was exactly it i am i didn't have a ton of money i was like dang i want a bull shed those are 50 bucks i don't have that money to spend on that well let's see if i can make one and you know i started off with like some jerk baits and whatnot i was it 
I have pictures of them, but they are just absolutely horrible looking. I mm-hmm. mean, like they barely did anything in the water. I had no clue about anything. I didn't even paint them. It was, it just looked like I took a piece of wood and cracked it, stuck yeah. eyes on it and put a lip on there. And, and I didn't even glue in hook hangers. Like I just drilled holes and put them in there. Like you could pull them out. I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I didn't have the money to buy all these fancy baits to try them out to see what catches the biggest fish. And I was like, well, heck, I'll just try making them. So I went out to my dad's shop and I started using all of his stuff. I used two by four scrap from the garbage to try to make like whatever I could. Mm-hmm. And I really couldn't get it much to work until like hundreds of baits later. I mean, I was just like horrendous and YouTube helped with that. So like watching guys like Nate Marling, uh, yeah. Nico from solar fall baits. And then I also got into the plastics, which uh world's worst fishing helped with that. And the painting Jen Carvasi, those there's a lot of great people on the internet that can help with all of this and that have really good tutorials out there to get started. And it's, there's so much that goes into it in in all different aspects. And now I've just started tying jigs because, well, I lose a lot of jigs too. So yeah, yeah, I've, I've gotten into pretty much every single bit of bait making, I think, except for fly tying, which I'm definitely not going to get into. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I don't know. We're, we're two younger guys, so we, we see it a little bit differently, (laughs) but the internet gets a bad rap. And I guess even even the swim bait world kind of does too a little bit just because there is a lot of bickering and disagreements and you know <laughs> he said she said whatever I, whatever it is everybody knows what I'm talking yeah. about like what I'm trying to get to but dude like I I was just thinking about it today before before we got on this podcast I was just just a weird thought that went through my head I'm like dude like besides my my mom and my dad and my girlfriend. There is probably nobody else I talk to throughout a day that I didn't meet online through swimbait fishing. Like uh-huh. dude, 90, <laughs> 95 to 98% of the people I talk to in a day are people, I like, there's Facebook Messenger or Snapchat group chats mm-hmm. or Instagram DMs or I have their phone numbers and we text, you know, back and forth a couple times throughout a week. Like, like I, I look at my girlfriend sometimes and I'm, I'm like, I, I really do not have like many in-person friends as far as like in, in my general area, <laughs> like dude, all of my friends are all internet friends, whether I've met them or not. Like I talk to a lot of people that, that don't live anywhere close to me. And it's so crazy because like, <laughs> that, that's because of the internet. That's because of, of like Swimbait Universe, Swimbait Underground, Instagram. And it's like, yeah, people, like I said, there's a downside to it, but there's like a massive upside to it too. Yeah, definitely. I I love the internet, but I also hate it sometimes um, because, number one, it makes you spend a lot of money sometimes. But the other part of it is, like, you're able to reach so many different people and mm-hmm. learn so many different things. So I think the, you know, the positives outweigh the negatives, honestly. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's so easy to connect with everyone. I've met just in an unimaginable, uh, uh, unimaginable amount of people on the internet that are absolutely amazing. Like, I mean, there are just so many of them and you learn so much just by talking with them mm-hmm. and just messing with them. And, you know, it's, it's so much fun. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, dude. And Informative. Like, so how long have you been messing around with baits? I guess like when, when was the first two by four carving? When, when did that happen? <laughs> how long ago? I think, uh, it was back in 2017 or 2018, oh, somewhere dang. around there. So like 
Marling was like probably pretty small, like twenty five thousand subscribers or smaller. I honestly don't remember. Um, I didn't have a YouTube account, so oh. I just like logged onto YouTube and I yeah, just, like yeah. I couldn't see anything. Like I couldn't comment, couldn't like or anything like that. I was just like, all right, search Marling Bates and just look at all his videos and everything. But yeah, he was. It was definitely a lot of help seeing how he made his baits, and you know, there's not many people that that did that. Like like Miko and Marling, those are like the two that were online that yeah. had a lot of videos mm-hmm. that that really helped my my lure making. Definitely, yeah. dude. That was like back in the day when when Marling was like super camera awkward. He would like yeah. not really <laughs> talk it in his videos. It'd be yep. like a 25 minute video in like a half of the video would still be sped up like six times, like while he's standing and everything. And like, (laughs) there'd be like the little B roll cuts of, of the paint or of the clear drying on the barbecue. (laughs) Like, dude, that's like, I remember like that being distinctive, just watching that stuff all the time, like laying in bed before I go to bed or in the morning or, or just whatever it is like at the lunch table. And I just remember like that just, that's like such a core memory because it was so cool. It was like he didn't even have like thirty thousand subscribers. I remember when he yeah. hit fifty and a hundred thousand, and I kind of stopped watching after that. But it was like I remember when it was like super grassroots, like when he yeah he was making stuff that like just crankbaits and stuff. And I remember like when he got big, it was probably right around when he cut open the mother chaser. I bet. Oh yeah, yeah, like, that was a really crazy video for sure. <laughs> Yeah, like, he like, made a lipless rat that looks amazing in the water, and I really want one. So, oh really? <laughs> yeah, it looks good. It's kind of like the um, Black Anchor Co. Rat. Okay, but it yeah. has a little bit of a different swim. Okay, huh? Dang, dude. Yeah, that guy is like, I don't know. Every like everybody talks about him and stuff, but you don't really hear about like like a, a guy like you talk about like yeah like I learned like a lot of, of whether it's the basic stuff or the little bit more complex stuff, like mm-hmm. his, his stuff is seen as I feel like now entertainment and, and back then probably a little bit of entertainment too. Yeah. And not necessarily um, an educational thing. Like he breaks stuff down to like very bite size mm-hmm. bits of information that, that you can learn from. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to touch it up with 600 grit and then I'll do 800 and then I'll do, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, and then I'll dip it in clear, and I'll let it rotate for three hours, and we'll be ready for hardware. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he, he, like, he breaks it down for everybody. And, and I feel like it gets overlooked because, because it, like, he does make stuff that's kind of, maybe, maybe I guess, like, maybe a novelty or kind of like a desk piece, even though, even though mm-hmm. he does fish his stuff. Like, people see, like, one-off baits like that and automatically think that. But, like, that's... <laughs> that's stuff you can take and, and you can do and you can make, you know, 20 crankbaits or five glide baits doing all that same stuff. It doesn't have to be like this one-off stuff. Like that's universal knowledge that he's, he's giving out to people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like he makes some very interesting stuff. And the cool thing is, is like every once in a while he'll be like, all right, here's how I'm waiting this bait to get it to have this action. Mm-hmm. Like every once in a while he'll throw that in there. And like you just kind of have to go through as many videos as possible to find these little snippets of information. Mm-hmm. And I remember a long time ago when I first started watching them, I would pause the video and put it on the highest resolution setting and be like, "All right, what clear is he using? What 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 sealer is he using?" Like trying yeah. to zoom in on the image. And I'm like, "All right, that's what he's using." And yeah, it's 
his uh his baits are beautiful, absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. He makes it look too easy sometimes. Yeah, like I, I came in with so much confidence. I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm gonna take this two by four and this exacto knife and just go to town on this thing. And he makes it look very easy, but it's definitely not that easy. Yeah, dude, I remember him like <clears throat> using the lead pot and and weighing down baits, and he'd go out to swim it, and he's like, okay, well this thing swims on its side, so you know I have to add x amount more weight and he's like well i'm running out of places to put this weight so i'm gonna drill bigger holes with this pilot pilot driver and i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna triple the weight or whatever and it's just that's so funny mm-hmm. but when you got into it you just said you do you still use an exacto knife today like for for like the big carving <laughs> so i guess walk us through your carving process like from okay from block of wood to getting ready to paint How, what what's your process like Okay, well, we could spend eight hours talking about that, <laughs> 30 hours talking about that, but I'll break it down as fast as possible. So I draw my design, I make a ton of copies of it just to make sure I have them for mm-hmm. later. And um, and that's after I've you know tested it just to make sure it swims right. That's, yeah. you know, I don't want to waste paper and ink and whatnot, but um, I cut it out in the bandsaw, sand it, uh, draw the taper lines if it has tapers, depending on the bait. Um, what kind of tapers, sand those down, or if it's a super big bait that's super wide, I cut them on the bandsaw, then taper it down with the, the sander. And then um, I go to work on getting the center line as well. The center line yeah. is super important. Mm-hmm. I, there's, I know some people that don't do a center line, and it's just like, please put a center line on there. That makes the bait even. You yeah. base everything off of that, that line right there. And then you just go to work on getting the lead holes ready. Then you drill your eye, your eye holes if it has eye holes, and then you start drawing on your chamfer lines, and then you start carving. And carving is like super fun for me. So I have a ton of um, Helvy knives. So okay. they're made by I think it's Tim and Robin, I believe, make them. Um, you it's, you know what's weird is it's kind of like the swim bait world. You can't get the knives unless you go to a show and have a few there. Oh, but these really? ha- knives are handmade. They're absolutely beautiful. They stay sharp. I mean, they're sharp. I think actually Nate has one. Um, I thought I saw it in a video, but absolutely beautiful knives. They will literally split a hair in half. It, absolutely beautiful knives. But I use those for all of my wood moving. So like I move all my wood with them. I cannot do it with a um, a box cutter knife like he does. There's no way. I don't. I just can't do it for some reason. Like the shape of the blade. I have like. 30 different kinds of knives for different situations where I need them on the bait so I can best do it fast, so I can do it faster, you know, and more efficiently. And, uh, yeah, I use a lot of different knives. But then once I'm doing, like, balsa, you can't use the specialty knives with balsa. Yeah. So it's kind of like like cardboard, pretty much. It's carbon mm-hmm. cardboard, uh, depending yeah. on the kind that you get. And I use a, um, a snap-off blade knife for that. Yep. So I just every two or three baits, I snap off a blade and start fresh. And that way it ensures that you're getting a good even cut instead of pushing the balsa. Mm-hmm. You're trying to cut through it and slice it and not push it. Um, or else you'll have like tearing and all sorts of problems. Yeah. And your bait won't seal right or it won't swim right or something like that. And then I go to carve the details. So I do my stop cuts in there. Then I cut back into them and do any sort of that stuff. Um, you sand it and you know, then you're you're ready for sealer, and then once your sealer coat is done, you cut your joints if it has joints. Um, depending on if it's balsa or some other type of wood, um, you either do a thick, like a epoxy sealer coat, or like mm-hmm. a CA glue bath um, over top of that. And you know, there, there's so many different ways of doing it. 
Yeah. There's different ways for different wood and different baits. You can't really break it down really fast, but then I, uh, I prep my bait really good and then I start painting and then I, I clear coat it. Dang man. So, and there's like, and I also do three different swim tests during mm-hmm. that process. Um, just to ensure it continues swimming right during yeah. the entire process of building it. Yeah. Dang man. So you talked about carving and I think I talked about it a little bit. I used to, I used to make pike spearing decoys and I don't know if you know what that is. Oh, like, cool. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It was dude. It, what you said about the balsa wood, that's like exactly what I used to do. I, I advanced <laughs> all the shape and then just a, just a box cutter knife and balsa wood. And dude, you get good at like, wood like obviously everybody always talks about like you can't mess up in art and like it's kind of wood kind of true with wood too but like there there's an oh crap factor when when you're <laughs> pulling down like the the natural curve like because obviously it's a big block so when you're uh when you're whittling down like the natural curve and you're driving you put a little bit too much pressure and you just sink that blade into, <laughs> into that piece of balsa and you have to you have to you know flip the bl- flip the piece of wood around and, and back carve to it and mm-hmm. yeah dude it's like i don't know it's a it's a it's a learning process but i i think i made probably like seven or eight baits and they all swam fine and stuff but I like to, it was like so much fun to do, like just to kind of carve and kind of perno- make the super pronounced gill plates and then, yeah. you know, make that, uh, make that like distinguishing features on the head. Cause like I, I would always just paint the eyes on there and like doing the center line, like that was the thing I struggled with the most. Cause it's like a curved, curved bait. So you have to figure out the center line that way. And it was like, mm-hmm. dude, it was a lot of fun. I just like, <laughs> I could only do it for so long because, you know, if you make a, a 10 spearing decoys in a summer, like I'm only going to use one all winter and I, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have ever been able to sell them. But it's like, like swim bait fishing, like or swim baits in general, I said, like you can, you can fish them for a week and just have, you know, catch 10 times as many fish as you would spear in a winter. Like that, I would think, I think it'd be a lot. Mm-hmm more worth my time if i would have carved swim baits instead of bike spearing decoys back then yeah that's very interesting there's there's two two guys that uh brent hashimoto had on his his podcast it's a bait making podcast it's really cool it's called made mm-hmm. to cast a very interesting podcast definitely let me check it out if you're into bait making but he had two pike spearing decoy guys on there and they do some absolutely beautiful works of art you know who I mean, they, they were yeah, uh, Tradewell Decoys, and I think it was Ryan Ryan Ebert okay. Art, I believe. I believe it was those two guys. Um, there's, a, there's a couple big ones in Michigan, like Dark House Spearing Decoys is a very big company, and they make some, they make okay. some cool stuff. And, like, like very cool. Pike, pike Spearing stuff is kind of like swim baits. Like, everybody has their own style. Like, like some guys kind of have, like, that bluegill profile. Some guys kind of go yeah. for that, like, slender trout shiner uh hat or like body shape yeah <laughs> it, it's super cool man like it's it's something that a lot of people don't see because it's dude it's just like the swim bait world like it's it's like ice fishing is like the broad spectrum like bass mm-hmm. fishing but you know spike spearing and and swim bait fishing are are, are the the ugly black duckling <laughs> of, of the of the general umbrella term i feel like yeah it's like not as many people are into it, but the people that are into it are really are into, into it. it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. It's, yeah, uh, it, it's just, like I said, it's a super cool thing. It's just like, 
it's a very niche thing and that's kind of how that's how like that's that was the extent of of my bait building but i just remember have very <laughs> having very fond memories and just having a blast like I would go to I would go to uh, carving classes the at the DNR at the like the local oh, cool. DNR shop. There would be carving classes and like you'd be there with like the sixty seventy year old guys who carve a new toy <laughs> every every fall to have for the year. And it was just like like you'd come back every week and you you could leave all your stuff there and you'd come back and they'd have all the knives and everything and you could like go through the process. They'd help you and then like the last week would be painting and clearing and then they have mm-hmm. like a big. They had like a big tank, kind of like a Bass Pro Shops would. And I remember the for the last two weeks, you could you could test swim your pike decoy in there, which is super cool. Because oh, cool! Like, uh, like the pike decoys have like it's it's a straight bait, and then it has like that slight that curve on to it. Yeah, like a twenty twenty five degree curve to it. And so mm-hmm. uh, there's a vertical line tie, like kind of like uh, like a lipless crankbait does. And when you pull on it, it does a huge solemn glide in a circle kind of like uh yeah like when you drop a quarter at the in the little machine at the mall and it goes all the <laughs> way around it dude that's exactly how they swim and like guys would do all sorts of crazy stuff they would put like like a plopper style tail on there on there so like the tail would spin kind of like a rudder yeah i would do like underblade spins on it and like I, dude, I was i was super young i was like like 12 or 13 and i just remember seeing it and i was just like fully immersed with how cool this was and then like four or five years later i get into swim bait fishing and just all that stuff that i was super into just went out the door and like looking back on it I'm like i could have probably saved a lot of money because i knew how to carve and i probably wouldn't have bought as many baits as i did originally but it was just kind of something i i fell out of i guess realistically yeah that's super cool i mean that's the I mean, one more thing I need to do. I mean, golly, I don't need any more things to do. <laughs> yeah. But I want to carve one so bad just to, you know, have the fun. Because I like, like right now I'm working on a big 10 and a half inch mullet swim bait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got all like the, the flexible fins. It's going to be like super detailed. Like I like doing these like big swim baits. Like I did um, a snakehead a long time ago. It, it looks horrible. Like now that I'm looking at it, yeah, it just looks horrible. But, you know. It, it swims, so it should catch one. I, I want to fish it though. <laughs> Heck yeah, dude! And so when you first started, you were you were just carving, painting, priming, and everything. You're like just these one-off baits. When mm-hmm. you kind of learn to do the resin side of stuff, like making molds and stuff, because you you do have a couple molds, yeah. right? With hard baits. Yeah, I actually have a lot of molds for hard baits and soft baits. Um, but my thing is, is I just love carving like too much mm-hmm. that i yeah. just kind of stopped doing resin at the moment like i have baits and i could sell them if i wanted to but like, i mean it's just like i don't enjoy it as much as i do yeah would and like i mean sure i could sell a few and make some money but i mean it's just like i don't enjoy it as much mm-hmm. as i do the wood baits you know yeah it feels like work yeah yeah well i mean not like it like i enjoy it but it's not as fun mm-hmm. as carving something by Reading hand something. like like you only carve the master once and mm-hmm. if you need to make changes you make changes but you know it's just not as enjoyable but yeah i got started into that like 2 years ago i would say 2 years ago maybe okay. and that was a whole new world i had to learn about silicone i had to learn about all these different you know things about resin yeah. um, micro balloons mm-hmm. weight ballast how to suspend weight and swiveling hook hangers in your resin baits yeah that's a whole new world like i'm just like how do i do this so then i just started figuring out how to do it and everything and it's 
the, my biggest issue, because I live down in the South, we are extremely humid down here. Humid, and yeah. since I since I use solvent and lacquer-based paints and 2K clear coats and resin, that's a huge issue is mm-hmm. humidity. So I'm, I have a bathroom in my shop that I'm con- going to convert into a resin room. So I'm going to put an AC unit in there and one or two dehumidifiers so it makes it a little easier um, for getting rid of all those bubbles that's in your resin and yeah. know, making sure I don't have to fill those because that's a huge pain. That's another you know reason that I don't do resin as often either. Yeah, and like, I mean, as far as like things you need, like block of wood, uh, utility knife, or, or like your preference in knife, mm-hmm. some sandpaper, some primer, and a, uh, an air gun or an air airbrush, like, <laughs> and like, dude, like, like resin stuff, like, like if you wanted to be like crazy, like. You'll want the, the what is it, like the decompression chamber to pull all the air bubbles out. Yeah, and like yeah, a bunch of scales to to measure out all your solo cups <laughs> before you mix part A and B together. <laughs> and then like you need a bunch of clamps or rubber bands to clamp all the molds together. Mm-hmm. Then you need to yep. you need to pre brush all the all the molds before you you put the you even begin to pour so that the uh, mold actually yep. releases the bait <laughs> after. And then, yeah, and like, and then after, you know, 25, 50, 100 baits, you have to scrap the mold <laughs> because it's hit its life cycle. So then you got to pour another yep. mold in the master. Like, it just is like an, a never ending. Like, in reality, if, if, if you want to produce a bunch of the same baits, like you've got it perfectly tuned and, and guys want the baits and stuff, mm-hmm. obviously at that point, it's worth it. But if you're doing it for fun or, or just whatever, or like yeah. you want, like, I have five buddies who want this bait. Like realistically, doing it by wood is probably the more economical, yeah. wise decision. <laughs> like it's going to save you time, and it's going to save you probably a lot of money and a lot of time. Like doing all that, the little nitpicking stuff to get those molds and everything where they need to be for the poor five, the poor yeah. only five baits. Yeah, and what I actually do, this is something I don't know how if anyone else does this, but um, if I know that the bait is good and I cast it a few times and I know, all right, I'm, I'm going to sell this one. I'm going to sell X amount of them. And I know, you know, I can use the mold this many times. I'll just keep the mold in there and I'll pull it apart. I'll put it back in the mold box and then keep the master in it and just pour another one. So then I have two of that same half and then I flip it over again and pour okay. silicone on the other side. So I don't even have to mess with any clay or mm-hmm. if I'm doing like a one piece mold that I cut open down the sides I don't have to suspend the bait in midair and do that. So it's like, I mean, there's ways of getting around, you know, the annoying part of making molds. Yeah. But it is, it's, it's still, you know, it's a, another step that you got to take because you want to make a bunch of molds for them. And, you know, I'm not moving a ton of baits at all. Like, I, I don't sell a ton of baits. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have ways of, of making a ton of baits if I need, if, if the need be. <laughs> yeah. And that's like... Dude, I when I was up with my parents when those magazines came a couple weeks ago, I was just digging around through the garage. I found a Senko mold I made out of like building caulk, out of like window caulk. <laughs> it was in a Lego box, like it was in a Lego mold mold kit box. It was <laughs> it was an open pour. And dude, I remember having not the simplest idea of what I was doing and and filling this Senko <laughs> with this like silicone and i remember coming out like after 24 hours and i was like awesome i'm gonna pour some baits and the silicone wasn't <laughs> even dry dude 
It was it was like two <laughs> inches of silicone, and it oh, probably man. took like two or three weeks to dry. And then oh. I just I lost interest at that point in time, and I just I just stumbled around and found it. And it was probably like honestly 2015 or 2016 that my dad and I uh, took upon this journey. I was telling my dad how easy it was. He's like, okay, yeah, I'll help you. And then we just never <laughs> never got past that point. Oh yeah. I actually got into to plastic baits just about the same time I got into big baits. Mm-hmm. So I'd take some of these like like uh, cheap like big baits and I'd try to make yeah. molds of them. Well, the the way I would you know heat my plastic up was is uh, I took a, a metal grate, I put it on top of two cinder blocks, and I put a <laughs> bunch of sticks and leaves. Yeah. And I put I put I lit those on fire, and I took a um a like a pot, like a, a pan that you cook with. Oh and my I poured a bunch of my old baits in there yeah. and I'd light the fire and I'd sit there for 35 to 45 minutes and wait for that plastic to kind of get liquidy yeah. and pour it in these molds. And these molds just looked horrible and the baits didn't even run. Like it, I was just, I didn't have a clue of what I was doing, but I, I was so cheap back then. Cause I had like no money. I was just like, how can I do this? How can yeah. I do this? And I was just like, you know what? There you go, right there, and you know. Then eventually, I got to working, and uh, you know, started getting some money so I can actually buy a microwave and everything like that. Oh my gosh, man! I remember <laughs> when I made that mold and it finally dried. I remember getting uh, a container to melt on plastic baits, and at oh. first, at first, I didn't want to do it in the microwave, and so. Uh, you know how like you can um, melt down chocolate if you put it over boiling water and like uh, yeah. So that's that's what I tried to do. It took forever, dude. It never actually ended up melting. I'm like, what the heck, man? <laughs> so I put it in the microwave uh, out in the garage and I pull it out and I don't remember. Like I'm taking a video of it or something, dude. And I don't know if it was a knockoff Pyrex or if it wasn't a microsafe. Oh, it exploded, didn't it? Yeah, dude, it exploded. Did you set it down on something like, like concrete? Yeah, I think that's what I did. Yeah, yeah, that's probably it, dude. When I tell you, I jumped ten feet up, oh, yeah. and I like, I literally <laughs> probably shit myself, dude. I just remember running inside, and I remember looking at my forearms, and I'm like, oh my gosh, is there gonna be like melted glass inside my forearm? <laughs> there was no marks or anything on me. And I was just like, I was so scared. I didn't tell my mom. Oh, I didn't know if I told my mom, <laughs> she was never gonna let me in the garage alone. Like, dude, it was it was wild. It was that was oh. like that just and that's why we never used the mold because I was just gun shy after that. <laughs> it, once you once you pop a, a Pyrex cup like that, that's definitely something that uh, that scares you a little bit. I burned myself. I've cut myself. My hands have like scars all over them. Mm-hmm. And now they're starting to get kind of like like leather skinned. So like yeah. once the wood dries up your hands, I'm like, golly, my hands look like they're 50 years old. Yeah, I think it's O'Keefe working <laughs> hands or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, man. That's, so it's definitely would, scary if that happens. <laughs> yeah, dude, it, it makes you pucker. That's for sure. <laughs> so you make you you get into carving and stuff, and you're loving the carving side of stuff. And were you like, well, crap, like a wood lure is cool but like i i need to figure out how to paint had, had you always been into painting or was it something you just kind of picked up along the way out of necessity yeah i have um i'm not artistic in any way shape or form i can barely draw a stick figure um <laughs> there's i have no artistic anything i just i look at a picture of a fish and i'm like all right 
what can I do? All right, I mix this paint with this paint, add this 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 extra you know little sparkle into it or whatever, and I'm like, all yeah. right, that looks a little similar. Spray this on the bait. How's the transparency? Does it show through the white? Or if I'm painting like a, over wood, use a candy color or a pearl or whatever. I mean, it's just like there are so many different kinds of paints. And I just recently started switching over, or I completely switched over to solvent and lacquer-based paints. And I was using okay. water-based paints. And I cannot tell you how much nicer solvent and lacquer-based paints are. It is like light years ahead of water-based paint. Now there are downsides to using like those two kinds of paint. Um, they're extremely toxic. Water-based yeah. paint is also toxic. You still need a ventilation system. You still need to wear a mask. It's very dangerous. You know, you don't want to you know die or anything like that. Like I had some. I had one point in time where I was just like I didn't have a mask. I didn't have uh, some sort of ventilation system. Oh, I was no. spraying water-based, and I was painting like a ton of baits. And I started having like lung issues. I was like coughing like all the time. And I was just like, all right, why am I coughing so much? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because this paint has so-and-so in it. And it this, this has metal flake in it. And I'm like, oh, that's why. Dang, so I got a ventilation system and I got a mask. And now I moved to a new shop and I built an entire paint booth and ventilation system to get it out of my shop and vented out. Mm -hmm. And especially now that I'm using those two very toxic paints. Yeah. Um, don't mess around with that stuff. Um, micro balloons, get a, a, a downdraft table or make mm -hmm. them some way, shape, or form, or do it outside. Make sure to wear a mask. Do something to keep yourself safe. Burning hot plastic on your hands, super dangerous. Make sure to get, you know, make sure you're not wearing sandals because that plastic can just drop right on your foot. It's very dangerous, some of the, some of the stuff, but you got to make sure to take your precautions. And if any of you guys have there, out there ever have any questions about like safety or anything, Hit me up. I'm more than happy to help you with what I can. Yeah, dude. That's like the micro balloons. <laughs> like that, those are literally glass shards, like glass. Yeah, it's it's the quartz and everything. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they put that in food. I mean, it's just a filler. They put that in food. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. It's just like it's such a oh, an eerie thing. And like, dude, there's guys that that paint with no ventilation, and I'm like, are yeah, you? Yeah. Like, are you guys you nuts. <laughs> serious? Yeah, I'm like, wow, that's uh, that's yeah. crazy. Like Kyle, a throwback. He's got that huge. Uh, he's got a huge vent. He's got the um, mm -hmm. like a filter on top of the vent, like that's just pulling it all yeah. out. Um, I know. Well, that's actually just there. a. No, I mean, uh, sorry, not to cut you off, but that no, that huge ventilation thing that that's not like filtering. Like, I mean, it's not like like on a paint booth, you have yeah. something directing like. As soon as you spray that, all that air and paint is like getting sucked out. Mm -hmm. That's just an extra, like, I think I talked to him about it. I don't know, but um, I think that's just extra to keep the air flowing and like fresh air and everything. I yeah. Think, to get like all the sawdust and everything. But I don't mm -hmm. know for sure. I don't have one of those, but yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go get back. No, no, you're good. But yeah, just like, like everybody who, who does it, like, there's a lot of guys who do it right, but there's a handful of guys who, who don't wear a respirator or mm -hmm. whatever. And, Dude, like I like at work, like when I'm working on dryers and stuff, I've I've started to wear like a little, just like a little like like a mask you'd wear during COVID or yeah. something, just because like, dude, you bl I blow my nose for like two or three days and all it is is lint, <laughs> and, like, like dust, and it's just like, yeah, dude, that's crazy. That's just me tearing apart a uh, like a couple dryers throughout a week. Like that's not me painting for you know you guys you got guys like like Paul or or uh, uh, 
Uh, TK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like like all these guys and and women who who paint baits for a living and and make baits and stuff. It's like now imagine if they're not wearing a respirator. Like I'm around these dryers for like mm-hmm. we'll say eight hours throughout the week. Like that's that's only eight hours. These these guys are doing this for like a living. Like these guys yeah. need to wear them. It's just it's crazy the people that don't. Man, it's it's so wild. Mm-hmm. And it gets you way down the road, like lots of years later, you're like, yeah, I feel fine. Then after, you know, a long time doing it, you're like, I have lung cancer. I'm yeah, yeah. You know, going to, you know, kick the bucket in a few years. It's, it's definitely dangerous. Yeah, dude. Like, like, could you imagine a guy like Clayton Sly not, not having a ventilation system? Like with how much, how I, oh, dude, yeah. I, I can't even imagine how long it takes him to paint like a bait like when he first <laughs> got started or even now, like with that much detail and stuff like if you weren't to wear a respirator dude the effects would probably make you feel 20 30 years older than you actually are like your lungs would probably yeah. be literally shutting yeah. down yeah totally <laughs> yeah you'd have shortness of breath just everything i mean it'd just be complete you know yeah, yeah. dude. That's his, his paint schemes are amazing the, the like the detail on those baits like how he does like the whole taxidermy thing on them it that just accentuates those paint schemes he puts on there. It just makes him look even better. He's he's a master at that for sure. Yeah, dude, his his stuff is freaking so crazy. But yeah, <laughs> how long did it take for you? Like, I guess now, do you feel? Would you take a bait to repaint for somebody? Like, are are you pretty confident in your paint? Like, as far as like some some styles go, that people would want. Yeah, so when I was using water-based paint, I got to the point where I was like, all right, he's sending me this bait, he's sending me that bait, all right, I'll repaint these, get the clear cut on, yeah. ship them out, you know, hopefully they catch something on them. And I was like, all right, I know I can match that pattern. Like, it's just like, that's easy. I know exactly what I'll use. I'll think about that. I know how it's going to lay down. With solvent-based paints, I, you know, I think the past two months I've been using them. I Like, I'm brand new to solvent-based paints, kind of, and... I'm just starting to learn them. So it's like I'm having to relearn everything about painting almost. You know, how the how the colors relate to Lay what you're spraying them on stuff. and the yeah. different kinds of paint. There are way more different kinds of paint. Like I'm I'm talking like a lot of different kinds of paint. I'm using um Inspire and um yep. House of Color. Dude, these paints get up to like two hundred dollars for a four ounce bottle of paint. Dude, that's, that's insane. So yeah, it's absolutely insane. It's but it, it's super cool because you can get like even more detailed. It sprays way better through the gun. It atomizes mm-hmm. better. You can get more vibrant colors. You can get more colors. You can get different colors. And uh, it, it's definitely better than water-based paint yeah. if you have a ventilation system going. Yeah, it, as far as like the difference for the lacquer stuff, do you put X amount of of, of lacquer-based paint into your your air gun and then do you you kind of water it down with lacquer thinner is that how is that what you do so um inspire is solvent based and i believe house of color is lacquer based so um house of color is literally the the best paint i've ever sprayed it's the most expensive Mm -hmm. you know it should be the best it is the most expensive but it is definitely the best that stuff you do not need to use any sort of reducer with um lacquer thinner is what you clean your brush with yeah um, yeah. or at least i use lacquer thinner to clean my brush with um and then you you know 
there's like a specific reducer that you can buy, but I mean, honestly, you don't need it for um, House of Color. With Inspire stuff, you definitely should get some reducer. It helps it atomize a little bit better and shoot a little better so it doesn't come out in like splatters kind of. Um, just makes it look a lot cleaner. Okay. Huh. And then water base, do you need to water that down or anything at all? Yeah, with water based, most of the time you're going to need um, an airbrush reducer. And I forgot, some, I thought somebody put out a video on how to make it. I think it was uh, that guy Skimpy. He does like a bunch of bait making stuff, um, but he shows how to make it yourself. But I mean, my personally, I would just buy it. You know, it's just cheap. But yeah, um, you definitely should water that down as well. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, dude. My, the whole painting stuff is super cool, but I guess it's not like crazy complex. Like when you get into patterns, like the super realistic patterns and stuff, I think it's mm -hmm. definitely a little bit more complex than I could probably handle. Like as far mm -hmm. as like looking at it from the outside, but if I was to get into it and and do it for maybe like a year, I think I could mm -hmm. kind of start to grasp it. But like I'm on, I'm, oh, on yeah. the same, I'm on the same level as you as far as like <laughs> I can I can think of a lot of cool stuff and I can very 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 roughly sketch it out. But like, mm -hmm. when it comes to putting the pen to the paper and, and starting like a, a work of art or, or design <laughs> or whatever, that's where I lack. Like, I, I don't oh. <laughs> have the, the penmanship to do that stuff. And that's like, I feel like paint is, I would get very uh, confused or just backwards on, on to mm -hmm. what color to lay down <laughs> first or what color to cover this up with. Like, that's where I think I'd kind of drop the ball. Yeah. But I think that's also where that's cool. Because mm -hmm. everybody has kind of their own style. I mean, it's just yeah. like, he uses this kind of paint, and he uses this kind of paint, but they both look like a crappie. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, yeah. there's so many different ways of going about it, which is cool. You know, there's, yeah. I know some guys that spray the um, acrylic base paint, which is stuff you paint, like, with a brush. Like, it's just like, how do you spray that? But, you know, it is what it is. They, they use what they like or can afford. And, you know, I use what I like and what I can afford. And it's just it is you know yeah dude i guess like i feel like painting painting from the builder gets overlooked but when you want to when you have a bait all rashed up or you know it starts to flake that's when guys look for a, a, a quote-unquote like a good painter like I don't know. I feel yeah. like when you buy yeah. the paint, you're not necessarily worried. Like you'd be like, "Oh man, no, that's not the color I wanted, but that was the only one left. It's whatever. I'll catch fish on it." But like on that second go around, you're like, "Okay, this is what I want. Like I know this thing catches fish. Now I want it to look the part." Like I feel like that's kind of how how a lot of people's brains work. Unless obviously you buy a blank because you know that you're gonna get it painted. Unless you're like me and just keep it blank. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that's kind of like where everybody's mind is. Yeah. It. It. It definitely is. I mean, I fish a lot of baits that are just blank, like just bone. I just throw the eyes on there. I might throw a few pearls on there yeah. and then clear coat it. And I'm just like, I'll fish with it. But like an amazing like bait that I love is the, uh, the GFB glide and those come unpainted and I keep it just white. Like it, it's yeah. a white resin and I do a few modifications to it to make it swim how exactly how I want it. And that thing is amazing. I love that bait like a lot. It's caught me a lot of fish. And it's a fun bait to fish, but like, I mean, I fish a lot of baits, just plain bone, but a big problem with repainting baits is, um, is contaminants 
and also yeah. sanding them down and making sure you get a um you make sure you prep the baits properly like um there's a, a big problem with bull shads and uh thank you for to tk for letting me know about this but they um sometimes the mold release is still inside the resin from when oh, they make them yeah so there's nothing that sticks to that to that bait nothing you can do to make that paint stick on there so when you go to spray them um the paint will just flake off if you touch them or rub them or anything like that so, so you is have that to be why you super have, you have to put them in a bath before you paint them yeah that's you're prepping your baits pretty much mm -hmm. and it's it, there's a lot of different there's a few different kind of ways to prep your baits properly um it's definitely a hard process to get every single contaminant off but um it's also different with resin and wood baits too like you're prep, prepping you know those two baits are, is different but once you you get your baits ready for paint and they're sanded wear gloves and then prep wear gloves and then paint wear gloves and clear coat don't touch that bait with your hands and don't let that bait touch anything else other than the air around it um or else you're going to get some sort of contaminant on that bait and you're either your paint's not going to stick and that's going to make your clear coat not stick and then you're going to have a bare spot there eventually that mm -hmm. that clear coat's just going to flake off or chip or the whole thing is going to start peeling up like with epoxy yeah. or or uv resin hmm. and that's like where i think it gets <clears throat> it gets overlooked like i feel like um pro like i don't know this is just me just brainstorming spitballing <laughs> i feel like it's probably pretty hard to do a repaint on a bait that's like scaled whether it's a hinkle trout hinkle shad oh yeah you know, bullshad because like man like you're not gonna get all the paint off of there like yeah there's gonna be stuff stuck <laughs> in, the, in the little crevices that you're not gonna be able to unless you're gonna get a toothpick and pick everything out but like <laughs> it's just it's just so totally unrealistic i feel like yeah a lot of the time you can just sand it down and just sand down as much as you can until you hit either bare resin or just get past like the uh the paint or yeah just scuff up the clear coat and that's enough to get the paint to stick. And okay. as long as you prep it properly, um, that's enough. But with scaled baits, it's very annoying because yeah. like you wanna, you know, you wanna get the bait properly prepped, you know, mm -hmm. and everything, make sure the paint sticks. But some baits you don't want to take it all the way down to the resin. Um, yeah. because some baits have issues with the uh the mold release and everything. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't use mold release in my molds, um, which puts more wear and tear on your mold. So you go through them faster. Um yeah. but I have no issues with um contaminants on there though huh interesting yep. and <laughs> i guess have you uh, i know that like it's a cardinal sin to to get like a pats repainted and and the <laughs> big thing like the big thing with that from what i've heard is guys are scared it's gonna mess up the action and like guys will sand down a joint a little too far oh yeah <laughs> or, or just like or just kind of whatever whatever it may be have you kind of ran into like maybe even repainting one of your own baits that that maybe mm -hmm. like you take a little bit too too much off somewhere or just whatever it be that that kind of that repaint process maybe changes the swim maybe it's a little bit heavier because mm -hmm. you're using uh you're using a lacquer base paint instead of a water based paint or or whatever or is that not not occurred to you? Yeah, so um actually funny you, you say this, my buddy Matt um he has I think has a pat's away. Uh, but he was talking about it on my live stream, and the guy that had repainted it for him used epoxy, and the epoxy sank into the joints, Heavy. and it got weird, so the joints didn't hit at the proper um, angles, so it swam completely off. So he had to go in there with a razor blade and cut those those lumps of epoxy out of there to get really? it to swim right. Wow. Yeah. 
So you definitely have to choose your painters wisely and, you know, know what they, what they kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I've never, I've never ran into that problem from repainting a bait because what here's, I'm kind of anal about this sort of thing. I, as soon as I get the bait, I put the hooks on it. I make sure to ask the person to give me the hooks. Um, They give me the hooks. I test the bait in my pool to make sure it swims. Then I take everything off, make sure it's dry. I prep it for paint. I paint it. I clear coat it. If it swims the same, I take a video for myself just to make sure it swims the same. Um, If it doesn't swim the same, I do everything in my power to get it to swim the exact same as it does. And then I also do tuning jobs. If people want the bait tuned, I can tune it to do what they want. Hopefully, sometimes it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I use a, a 2K clear coat and the paint. I have seen a problem with the paint being an issue as far as making it off-weighted and off-balance. I think the only thing that would make that a problem is the clear coat, and maybe not so much the paint, like something on a UFO. Those baits are super tall. They're super skinny. That is a pain to weight. You have to make sure everything's even. That's like a, a huge pain in the butt to do, and props to Eric for doing it extremely well and making those baits run true. Um, you have to make sure everything's even. And... The best thing about 2K clear coat is what I use is, is it's super thin and it doesn't weigh much at all. So you can layer on that thick and you know just put on a few coats on there and it works extremely well because it's nice and light and it's super strong. So I've never had any issues with any like off balancing because I always test the baits too. So yeah, yeah, man, and that that's cool that that you do that to take that precaution. So you <laughs> paint it, send the bait back, and this person like this bait does not swim like it did before. Yep. <laughs> that didn't you, man. Yeah, yeah. I want I want the person to have a good experience if they you know have me repaint a bait or have me make them a bait or have me tune the bait. I just want to make sure they have a good experience and they get a bait that catches them fish. That's what I want. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I guess kind of kind of funneling it down for the day. What's mm-hmm. your favorite bait that you've carved and like that you like to fish? And you're like, dude, I need to get Ooh. this molded because I, this thing is just so perfect. Oh man, I, I guess love. If, if I that's mean, if, okay, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say if that's tough, I have a different. I have a question to branch <laughs> off, that, but I'll ask you that next. Okay, um, I am a big crankdown and wake bait person. I I mean like I love crankdowns and wake baits so much. Um I made a bass colored two piece wake and a three piece wake. And they have a circuit board lip on them. They're Japanese Hiniki Cypress. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know, but um that thing it works so amazing. Like it 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 does what it's supposed to do. It catches fish, it looks good in the water, and uh it's it's amazing. Both of those are amazing. I uh, I love. I'm a nut about bass colors. Mm-hmm. Um, those are my favorite to paint, and those are also my favorite to fish because they can imitate a bluegill, a shad, a shiner, um, a bass. They can imitate a carp sometimes if you you, know, you just change up the patterns and stuff. Yeah, they can imitate anything. So that's like confidence color, um, definitely. But yeah, I think they're they're more or less one off uh, wake baits and crank downs that I that I really love. I have a bunch of them sitting in my, my room right now, but yeah. Heck yeah, dude. And so that kind of answered the next question I had as far as like your favorite, your favorite like style of fishing, but what are, (laughs) what are some baits? Like if you're not going out there and you have your, your own bait that you'd made tied on, what, what are your, Mm -hmm. some of your other go-tos that you like? Dude, I am 
a nut for buga baits. I have almost every single kind of bait he makes, I think. Oh, dang. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually, I, if I remember correctly, he invited me up to his place, so I'm going to go up there hopefully this year and visit with him and see the shop, everything. That would be, like, super, super cool. I'm a big fan of, of him and his baits. But um, the buka wake, I have one that is so thrashed and so... Crashed up. I've replaced the bill like three different times. Um, oh I've God. burned off the front nose of the bait multiple times, so I've had to use my like resin and everything to put it back on there. I've used Bondo to put it back together. This Dang. thing is so thrash. I am. Um, I actually don't use it as a wake bait though. I use it as a crank down because um, it, it. Honestly, it. I think the action on that bait looks a little better than the four by four as a crank down, and it mm-hmm. floats up a little bit harder. The only issue with that one is that it's a softer resin. Um, which makes it float harder, which makes it a better wake bait. So that's the only issue, is you can rash them up pretty quick. But this one I've had for, I think, two or three years, and it's caught me fish, like lots of fish and big ones too. Dang, dude. Yeah, I... Yeah. I mean, I I can't forget, like, the the regular bull shads or the bull glides, though, or the Depths 250. I mean, those are all just amazing. (laughs) The bull glide, that was a super cool bait. I had that bait, like, when they first came out, the... Oh yeah, would have been the first gathering. I bought one and uh, caught some fish on it. And I just, I think I was like, I'm not a huge fan of the the gill, like the gill structure glide baits. I'd rather fish like a slender trout style. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. sold it, but I I kind of want to try the trick trout because it's super. I have one. <laughs> like. do, you, do you have you gotten to fish it much yet? I fished it all day yesterday. I think I caught around fifty fish yesterday. Holy and crap. this thing, it's it's a little bit rashed up now. I think he's changed the clear coat or something, but it doesn't rash as bad. Um, it's very customizable, so it's like all bull glides. You can pop the pin out. There's has two spaces for weight. I haven't messed with the weight. The only thing I've messed with is the uh, the two screw eyes. Um, it has a silicone tail, which is nice. Um, and he also used silicone to put the silicone tail in. So that's another thing. That way, the tail doesn't pull out very easy. Yeah. Um, but I like it a lot. It. It's, you can work it extremely fast without it blowing out, um, which is good. And it's a very sweet bait, definitely good. Um, I mean, I think everyone here saw, probably sure everyone here saw the that Edwin, Edwin Evers was using it mm-hmm. at Redcrest. And uh, it's a really awesome bait. Yeah, dude. It, uh, I know Cody Kirk had been fishing it for like the last year and a half, and he had caught okay. a lot of fish on it too, as far as I know. And yeah, dude, I I don't know. There's there's a lot of baits that I probably want to get next weekend, but I probably shouldn't, like we were talking <laughs> about before. Like, travel rod is literally all I yeah. need. I don't even need it, but I really want it because I want to <laughs> travel a lot. And then, like, maybe a throwback Woody, like, at the very most. Oh, yeah. But I mean, that's about it. I want one of his um his throwback wood uh, wake walkers and the mob walker in the wood. So the bad. Wood. I yeah. want those. Yeah. Kyle, if you're listening, please let me buy one or both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, the the big uh, Marshall's got a wood one, and it's got uh, oh yeah, it's got the homeless fisherman logo laser engraved onto the bill, which is super. Oh, cool. that's so cool. Yeah, super oh. cool. I I want to, I think I I think I'd probably get a bunny too, but I don't oh, yeah, think those I'd are sweet fish on it. But the bunnies are super cool. I think. Yeah, definitely. I don't I don't like it. Like as far as a two piece rat or a swim bait, mm-hmm. I don't use those very often. Um, I'm more of a three or four piece one. I like those more slender, faster moving S motion. Yeah, yeah. Um, those 
tend to imitate those shad and shiners that are out here a little bit more. Um, but that's just my personal preference and use. You know, you don't see Buka making many uh, two-piece baits unless it's a glide bait. It's yeah, because yeah. those he builds baits that work that catch fish, and uh, you know, those are the baits that work around me, kind of. You know. Mm-hmm. Have you fished the the bull herring much or at all? Do you have one? No, I have not. And my buddy Matt it says that that one is a really good one. And I think he said it. I think maybe it was someone else. But I want to get one of those. But the only problem is it only comes in a five inch. And I'm like, come oh, on, please, just making cool. it like like an eight inch. Yeah, and it'd be like in like I can repaint like a nice blue back herring color. Mm-hmm. And that'd probably have to smash. I bet I bet that's slept on bait. Because it's a different profile, and it has probably a similar action to a regular bull shad. So if those yeah. fish are conditioned to like a fast-moving bull shad, maybe try like the bull herring, you know? Yeah, I. That's the thing. I don't see many fish pictures of them, but I mm-hmm. also don't see many of them for sale, dude. I could probably count on one hand how many I've seen mm-hmm. for sale in the last two years. But yeah. that also be that also could be. He doesn't sell many of them, so he doesn't bring them to shows or or whatever it may be. That could yeah. also be the case. Yeah, definitely. I'll probably pick one up soon this year and mess around with it. I didn't know that they were only five inches. I might get one for the river. Maybe it's six inches, five or six inches. Yeah, it's, I was gonna, it's like his common sizes. Yeah, I was going to get one of the tackle, you know, Carl's tackle, baby, bluegill, whatever. But oh, I yeah. was like, I think the herring one would be cool. First off, it's a resin bait, and I really like resin over ABS. Yeah. And second off, I just I like that profile <clears throat> a lot more than a bluegill, I think. Definitely. And resin's a lot easier to manipulate than ABS. Because yeah. if you try drilling into an ABS bait it's and like true. removing the rattles or gluing like the knocker in place, like it's a big pain. <laughs> yeah, dude. Exactly. Resin's way more forgetful for a guy like me. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you can you can really beat on. You can hit a few dock posts before the bait kind of starts wearing down on you. Yeah, dude, exactly. <laughs> I can bounce it off a couple bridge pilings before yeah. it cracks and it's I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, Again, I was man. fishing. I was fishing under a bridge yesterday in a creek, and I was throwing the trick shed, and I almost hit the uh, one of the concrete pilings, and I was like, "Ooh, I just got this thing." <laughs> Yeah, dude. That, Don't want to kill it. <laughs> and that's the other like crappy thing, like with a resin glide bait. I feel like, like if if you crack the the tail, dude, you mm-hmm. like lose it, like lose part of it. You're kind of SOL. Like <laughs> mathematically, I don't think that you could get a tail that would work with the bait. Like you'd have to retune it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just like. Just based on like a subtle difference, I, like it would probably be p- perfectly okay. Like if you're content with it being okay, but like if you had a certain swim with it, like mm-hmm. I feel like a, a brand new poor tail would be different. Like it wouldn't have any hook yeah. rash like if the bait's all rashed up on the front half, and mm-hmm. you know, just dude, like even even something I bet is like having a little bit more dense of a brush tail material, or even just a couple more mm-hmm. bristles in it. Like I bet you that Definitely. would kind of play a, a pretty decent role in in messing up the bait as far as like needing to be retuned yeah probably pretty it'd probably be a chore i would say it probably would just be more worth it to buy another bait unfortunately yeah it i actually pour or actually take off the tails and make molds of them so i can make more of them if i ever lose them so i don't have to bother the makers and you know say hey can you send me yeah, some, yeah. some extra tails but um okay. i actually re- 
a guy cracked his gladi- gladiator tail from Rago Bates, uh-huh. and uh, I actually was able to make him like the the tail end piece was cracked, so like he didn't have the tail piece anymore. So yeah. I was able to make him another resin one, and I think I might have it on my Instagram. I don't know, but um, I had to like put the I had to mix up a batch of resin in a tiny little cup, uh-huh. hold the bait in the cup. And I put a screw eye in there to kind of solidify it a little bit more on one side. And then I waited for that resin to harden. I cut the cup off. And then I started carving that little, like, puck of resin until it got to the shape of the old tail. Yeah. And then I sent it back to him. And it swam fine. Like, I was super surprised that I was actually able to pull that off. <laughs> Dang, man. Yeah, that's, that's quite the, uh, the business venture. So. Yeah. <laughs> like I did it for free, too, I think. Hey, there you go, man. Heck yeah, dude. So going off of that, where uh, what, what's the Instagram? Where can people find you and hit you up for any baits or repaints or any uh, any broken resin tails that they might need to be worked on? Yeah, it's um on Instagram, it's uh, Brown Bait Co. Um, on YouTube, it's also Brown Bait Co. Um, I used to have a YouTube channel. I don't know if I'm going to continue making videos. I deleted like most of my videos off of there. I think I've only got a few old ones on there. But I do do a live stream every single monday now so it's now it's it's on mondays okay um, 9 30 p.m eastern uh one week it's on my channel the other week it's on my buddy's channel jermaine mainstream fishing um yeah we bring on guests next this coming monday we'll have byron childers on Ooh. and uh yeah we've cool got guy. some cool guests lined up so yeah is that that's on youtube yep on youtube we do it live and uh you guys come see us in chat Heck yeah, man! I will. Uh, I'll, I'll link your uh, your YouTube channel into the show notes because this. Okay, will sweet. Come, I'm trying to think on when this will come out. Hold on, let me look real quick. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't even know if you guys like have a schedule <clears throat> as far as a couple weeks out. So this one will be Tanner Marshall. I think we're out until. So this will this will April. come out April twentieth. So okay. two Thursdays from now, exactly two weeks from now is when everybody will hear this. Okay, sweet. All yeah. right, then. Well, I think we might have guests up to the line to there. I think our latest guest right now is TK, and he's on 20... I think it's either the 24th or the 29th. I don't know. Heck yeah. I can't man. remember which one it is, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, dude. So I will make sure to uh, to link all your stuff in the show notes so anybody can go follow you for, for anything, dude. You, you're the master, master <laughs> of all crafts. They want jerkbait. As long as you guys aren't asking for flies or pike-spearing decoys, Brennan yeah. <laughs> will probably be able to help you guys out there by the sounds of it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, thank, thank you so you. much, man, for having me on. It was uh, enjoyable to talk fishing and uh, and bait making. I could talk this all day, honestly. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was about to say maybe we can get you back on in the fall, and we'll talk about like what your fishing was like over over the summer. Whether whether you were smashing them on the trick shad still, or maybe <laughs> talk about the herring, or even just talk about your baits a little bit more. Yeah, man, totally. I'd love to have you on, or love to come back on, and I'll yeah, love dude, to have I'll, you on our show. <laughs> yeah, I'll come on your show. I don't care. I don't. I got nothing but time, man. You guys just got to let yeah. me know if I <laughs> plan something around it, and we could do that for sure. All right, awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, dude, for sure. Um, As always, I want to thank Brendan for coming on. Like I said, I'll put all of his stuff in the show notes so you guys can go follow him or hit him up with any questions you guys may have if you're an aspiring bait maker because uh, everybody <laughs> likes, likes to make baits. But anyway, um, as always, make sure you guys follow the Instagram for the podcast, scalesandtails underscore podcast. Make sure you guys check out the Patreon, $5 or $10 a month, the $10 one. You, uh, you get first dibs on the zines before they drop, and you also get uh, automatically entered into the monthly sticker drawing. 
Uh, make sure you guys rate the podcast on your listening platform if you haven't already. And this is going to be coming out way too way too far ahead for me to think of anything <laughs> else or talk about anything else because I don't even know what's going on tomorrow. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Like I said, I want to thank Bre- Brendan for coming on. Uh, it was super fun talking to a bait maker, but also talking to a bait maker that's like around my age and like kind of can <laughs> we could talk about social media and we could talk about watching YouTube and like watching <laughs> watching Marling baits before he was like anybody big and and kind of how like we we have an online presence with with people that we may never meet like it's it's just <laughs> a crazy thing to think about I feel like but it is Brendan for coming on I want to thank you guys for listening I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and I will talk to you guys next time see you guys. <laughs>